Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Fright Rags. Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher fakes, and cult classics. Collections include John Carpenter's Halloween, Universal Monsters, Night of the Living Dead, Creepshow, Twin Peaks, Evil Dead, and so many more. Join us as Fright Rags celebrates the 40th anniversary of the Evil Dead with an all-new anniversary t-shirt, baseball tee, and long sleeve, as well as a restock of their comfy lounge pants. Also keep an eye out for groovy repins from the Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness lines. All officially licensed and available now at fright-rags.com. Colors of the Dark listeners get 10% off when they use the code CODE10 at checkout. Again, that is CODE10 at checkout for 10% off at fright-rags.com. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all your favorite labels, including Cauldron Films, Arrow, Synapse, Severin, Mondo Macabro, and many more from all corners of the globe. Whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you have been craving. Shop online at D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-D-V-D.com. That's DiabolicDVD.com. And visit our sister company, Cauldron-Films.com. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content, honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away, because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code COLORS to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Again, that promo code is COLORS. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. It's been a good day. If, but I also feel really tired. <laughs> I feel like I've just like lived four years in like the last few days. But it is a good day, and it's we're in a new America or a new, new page. We are in uh, – there's a lot of good things. We're in January. There's a lot of good reasons to be excited. And the main thing is we cannot let democracy sit. You have to remember to vote. For the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Yes! <laughs> Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. I just saw a post it just open. a minute ago. So yeah. I actually just voted now right open. before. Yeah. Very cool. I don't think I get to. But um yeah. Oh shit. Maybe Very. I just maybe I just tipped the system. Maybe I'm insider trading. Because I because oh. I know what the best movie is because I work here with you. <laughs> and I know what the best skill is. So there you go. Well, 
it is um, always exciting to be a part of those. And um, hopefully we're going to do something a little cool with it this year since we're all kind of trapped online. It was actually one of my very first, actually, I think it was my first year ever working at Fangoria. We did this massive televised presentation of it. Um, and we it was hosted by we, Rob Zombie was there. Um, I got to meet all types of cool people. It was on Fuse, I think, or it may have been Spike. It was massive. Um, we, we did work with both of those networks. I can't remember which one we had the chainsaw awards on that year but it was it was huge yeah it'd be cool to see it restored to that kind of thing yeah for me as like a 20 something intern doing that when i first started it was just like oh it was just amazing from heaven um so yeah but i think we're gonna try to do something pretty cool with it this year so anyways um january welcome january 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 that's the other thing i wish january if we were screening something at the end of this month what would you choose you could show anything I would probably well, um, if I could choose anything, no, you know, it's a I gotta say, you don't get to pick. You don't I get to know, go. No, I was gonna say, I still think that we probably did pretty well. So, end of this month, Elric and I are screening the bird with the crystal plumage through USC, and it is open to everyone. This is the third one of these screenings that we've done, and they are an absolute blast. Um, you get to watch it via Zoom with a whole bunch of people, and then afterwards. We talk about the movie, we set up a little bit of historical context, but then um, we get to talk with a lot of the viewers and show listeners. And it has just been an absolute trip. We did um, Burial Ground and Cruel Jaws. And so I'm excited to do a good film. Well, I think, yeah, it's, Not- <laughs> it's kind of a great film. It's, it, it is. <laughs> I think a lot of people think maybe sometimes overlook it because it's his first, but really it's his first master like he he kind of comes out of the gate pretty hot because his next two which might come up again um don't I quite match it probably would and um but i will say the thing i'm most conflicted and i have to kind of um check in with everyone on the thread about this movie again is in an early uh thread about what we we're going to show it came up hey should we show the italian version that's the problem we have with italian yeah, movies. This is, or this is the dub. Questions. but and so well uh they want to show the dub to, to preserve italian language and i respect them i kind of I kind of initially thought, well, if we're on an online thing, you might want people talking if they're typing. It'd be harder if they're reading. But here's my new thought, and I haven't brought this up to anyone, right? Both the leads in this movie are American, not Italian. So we're not actually preserving the language of the actors. If we, if we, right. if we in fact, like Susan Kendall's British and the, and the main guy, I think he's from New York, uh, Tony Vicente, I'm pretty sure at least, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. But either way, so I was kind of like, well, maybe we should be doing an English language version in that case because um, only peripheral characters would be. But it is, it's one of the things. I, I'm. Let me ask you, when you watch Giallos and stuff at home, do you, which do you tend to do? Because I, I do tend I, to do I. It depends on the film. Um, because if it's clear that the actors, that the primary actors are American, I will do the dub, yeah. uh, or not, I will do the, the English version. Yeah. Um, uh, but otherwise I, I mean, and then there's some that don't give me the option. It also depends on what I'm doing, right. um, is a big thing. Like a lot of times if I'm working while simultaneously watching it, if there is an English dubbed version, I will put that on sheer out of ease of being able to continue whatever I'm doing. Like subtitles do require a different type of focus. Yeah. 
So um, I could go either way on this, but I do feel like if both of the leads are American, we should probably go ahead and show the English language version. And unlike, like, I think dubbing obviously has a terrible <clears throat> rep in general, like the idea of a dubbed movie, especially I think people go straight to a, a Bruce Lee martial art film with and, a bad sync. But this is a this is a culture that dubbing was such a part of every movie they made that they're really good at it. Like, it doesn't make it flawless, but they're really good at it. And well, and I mean, I think that you hit it on the head for me is not even that they're good at it, but that dubbing was part of this culture. Right. And it's part of Giallo films, like every single one of these movies was intended to be dubbed. Um, they were they were made with that in mind. So this is not like, like, I seriously, the the dubbed version of Wreck is the most cringy thing I have ever seen in my life. Like, I will never show it to a class again. Um, but with most Yalo films, you know, that's kind of how God intended them to be. Right. And part so, of that is yeah. when you, because we have multiple actors, and we'll get into a little bit of that when we later in the show, but when you have actors from three different countries in the scene, n- none of them speaking the same language, all kind of just doing whatever they want in a scene, you have to uh, kind of And really it. kind of um, phonetically pronouncing the script without yeah. necessarily really knowing where to emote or things like that. Like that disconnect, the language disconnect of Giallo's is something that makes them special um it's something that really kind of is part of them so yeah so i'm okay with showing the english language yeah so we'll we'll get back on that chain so we don't know yet which version it is because i'm not sure which if we have access to both but but i do think that'll be a great film to kind of introduce uh you know his style and work to those who might not know it and it'll be fun to talk about but um but first we have a whole bunch of new films to catch up on january what have you been doing what you've been watching should we do well, together? Um, let's start the one that we watch together, um, which we disagree on. <laughs> I think only only a little bit, but I definitely liked it more and thought maybe you'd like it more. But I had some, a couple things that didn't surprise me afterwards. So this one is uh, from, is it Sweden or Denmark? They're it's Sweden and Norway. That's right. Swedish, Norwegian. One sister. It's two sisters, both with different fathers. And one has grown up in one place closer to the mom. And the other one has grown up in the other. It's part of the story. So this is called Breaking Surface. Uh, turns out a friend, mutual friend of ours, friend, is the DP of this. Uh, oh, really? So it came up. Yes, it came. Uh, Dick, uh, Dick, the guy who's always shot all of Dick's films, it's a close friend of his. Uh, oh, wow. That's from, from cool. but, but, and it's a gorgeous. The best thing about it is the photography. Oh, the cinematography is amazing. Underwater. Yeah. very cold. Yeah. Um, like the whole film made, it seemed like an unpleasant shoot. Yeah. Climate wise. But this is one I knew nothing about. I just literally was scrolling one night and it was a brand new film and I, I, I had a element of aquatic horror in terms of water horror, not, not so much anything in the water uh and i was just like all right cool i'll give it a try first and then if it's cool i'll tell becca um and it's basically two girls when they're young uh, are they're growing up as deep kind of deep sea divers with their mother that's obviously a pastime of her uh in very cold waters and i guess the youngest one almost drowns on the watch of the slightly older girl and she's kind of grown mm-hmm. up with that heavier typical two per- if you have two kids the older one always grows up with this like responsibility and the younger one can uh act bonkers i think both of us can attest to that uh in, yeah, yeah. in our homes um and uh they grow up and the older one is coming they're both gonna come back to the family home to go with the mom on a deep sea diving trip which looks like i think it's a christmas movie actually yeah it's it's a christmas because they're both um getting up on christmas morning and headed to see the mom to do this and they talk about it being like below zero and then they're going on this like diving trip which maybe just freaks me out because i live in southern california and um i do think we, people who live in that climate do are do crazier things than we do. probably like we we put gloves on if it's below 60 right. y'all so yeah. um yeah 
but there's a lot of estrangement. It's one of those things where she, the, the lead character seems to be estranged from her husband. Uh, and then she goes to see her mom and she's very estranged from her own mom. And she's jealous of her sister's relationship to her mom. So there's a lot of that dynamic when the mom doesn't can't go when they finally go on this trip. So it's just the two of them. Yeah. And basically and it's- mom yeah. seems to be sick. Sister. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like beelines yeah. going on. Start, yeah. um, sister is having job drama. There's just a whole lot going on up at the start. But then um, they dive in and they are in the middle of nowhere with a dog. Um, you know, they light a fire and then they both dive in with the, inext- the intention of exploring this underground cave in the middle of winter. And there's and, like a giant uh, rock formation. And so, I mean, we'll just go up to the, the main first act, which is basically one of the two characters is trapped from fallen rocks. And from there on, the rest of the movie becomes this kind of tense survivalist She's trapped at the bottom and of the lose, ocean. That's yeah. a big thing. She's Losing like water. 30 meters you, down. What do you call that body of water? Because is it an ocean or is it like, or is it the side of an ocean? You know what I mean? Because they're in a... It looks like a bay. There weren't yeah. like waves crashing down. No, it and it, like it's deep. It's deep water. Bay. It's obviously ocean because there's whales in it. Yeah, um, yeah there, you're right. I forgot like, about the whale, yeah. Yeah, there's there's killer whales in there. So right, it's, it's not like they're in a boat going to the ocean. They are like on the cliff side of an ocean. So yeah. right right on the edge. But it, it, it's got some visuals once they're on. So it becomes kind of like the 28, is it 38 meters down? How many meters? I can't remember. Uh, 47. It's like that in a sense, but it's really about the lack of oxygen and one of them having to basically go on the missions to try to save the other one. And there's, I think that part of the movie is really strong. Like the part where it's just underwater and it's two people doing this. For me, that was the heart of what I got into with it. Yeah, um, one of the sisters, the one who's having to do the running, and I know that this is part of her character, but she was so incompetent, it was painful for me. Um, like, it was like, what? no, seriously, it was like watching um, the dumb person in the slasher film, right. and you just get so frustrated with it. Um, and so that it was that times a hundred because her sister's at the bottom of the ocean dying. I am going to remember and this so, one when we go deep sea uh, shark diving. And if you, if you drop the keys or drop the oxygen tank twice or something, I'm going to bring this back up. I'll be like, Becca, not so but, So that I found taxing, but I stayed with it for that. And, um, but then in the third act, it went someplace that I was just like, okay, I'm just done with this Mm. movie. Um, someplace that I thought was completely unnecessary and just made it take this really plot swing that I did not particularly, um, think it needed to do. But there's a scene where this dog totally deserves it. No, no. See, that was the thing. I'm going to actually put that one out there. There is a dog warning. There's kind of a, there's a, there's a bit of a dog violence scene towards in that third act that doesn't, I don't really fully understand why it's in the movie. I didn't understand. I think that that was my biggest thing is I was like, I don't even understand why that was there. It felt to me like at some point somebody was like, well, no one's died. We need this to feel Mm. dangerous. Kill the dog. And it was so violent and unnecessary and just came out of nowhere and didn't fit with the rest of the story in any capacity. And once I, and at first I was like, I was trying to hold back and I was like, maybe this is not as culturally punchy as it is here. Um, Because in the States, as soon as you kill the dog, you lose your viewers. And um, so I was like, maybe it's a little bit of a different feel. So I looked it up and every single one of the reviews was, I was with it till they did that thing to the dog. And then I was like, okay, I'm not the, like, it, it just, Interesting, it yeah. made me despise the film that previously I was kind of like, I, I'm in. Um, I will say that 
the very first moment that they get underwater, they see this pack of killer whales looking right at them. And me, I was like, oh shit, there's killer whales. They're going to attack. They're going to attack. And then like these rocks fall off the face of the cliff and like crush them. Um, And then I was like, oh, are the killer whales not coming back? So I followed immediately after I turned off this movie. um, I immediately put on Orca because this movie needed more um, charging killer whales. That would have made me like it. This could have been orcas. Could have been orcas plural. That would have been cool. I could have seen that for sure. But I would. I probably would have liked it more. Um, But that said, if you're into kind of your survival horror, this was good up until that third act swing when I seriously hated where it went. Um, But yeah, up to that point, if you are in these kind of you know these horror films where somebody's put in dire straits and has to figure out how to solve everything. This is that. So it's very kind of apocalyptic horror. Yeah. And the third act with the serial killer who comes diving after them, that was surprising, I must say. You know, <laughs> no, it's you're right. In, in that one, and then when that, everybody turned into a demon, I was like, I don't even know where we're going now. That, it's true about writing, though. Like, you, you watch a movie like this and you go, you know, you could have done anything in the third act, right? There could be another killer. There could be a killer animal. Yeah. Whereas it's just really survival. But I agree. I didn't love it, but I definitely uh, really enjoyed kind of all the underwater stuff. So, but. It is beautiful. Yeah, it, no, it looks it, absolutely. It reminded me of the um, Werner Herzog documentary that he when he went to Antarctic. Yeah, the one in Antarctica. Uh, Encounters um, of the end of the world at the end of the world. That's the one, and so it's got a similar kind of um, the way that they shoot yeah. the underwater yeah. ice formations. It feels really similar. Yeah, we'll probably look it up and see. It's the same DP or something. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I saw an, another intense one. I mean, I saw a few, pretty much all new stuff this time. But um, I saw one called Hunted, which is brand new on Shutter. And uh, what I didn't know about this film is that the co- the guy who directed it was the co director of Persepolis, which is one of the Oh, wow. Great, great movies. Yeah, it's an animated Iranian uh, film about a girl who's into heavy metal who grows up and around and isn't allowed to be. And it's just an amazing, if you haven't seen it, it's an amazing movie. So this is nothing like that. (laughs) This is really bizarre. (laughs) This is like alone and raw, uh, alone and revenge and things like that. Um, There's moments I really like it and other things that really kind of bothered me. It's kind of a bit of a little Red Riding Hood spin, modern spin set. Basically, this this woman from France is visiting, I think, Belgium, where she's in charge of a big construction project that's going to happen the next day. And so she goes to out for a drink and she just sees this guy who seems kind of, he he feels very American, very big. And I'll tell you who he reminds, like, I've never been more reminded of somebody in a movie. I'm watching this movie going, why is this guy annoying the fuck out of me? He He reminded me of David Hess in um, last house like it's the same kind of performance oh it's that hugely big but also really awful and kind of intense and uh anyway he, he kind of charms her and you know they kind of get along and they go about to his car to make out and then his friend gets in the front seat of the car and then starts driving she's like what what are we doing this is weird and basically takes them uh, takes her into the middle of nowhere into the forest and then it becomes kind of a crazy survivalist forest uh, are these guys henry type people like it's like henry and his and his buddy from the the film henry and it's got this kind of tone i think i sometimes get rubbed with tone that's like on one hand it's very serious subject matter it's really intense the fight scenes and the chase scenes and then this guy is so like i said in that david hess way where he's giving this huge performance and it's funny-ish also kind of annoying. It's probably dubbed. I th- the version I was watching was a an English language version. I'm not sure that's if that's what the film 
was uh, filmed in. Um, but there is a, but there's also these parts where they also have these little stories about um, wolves in the opening. It's the opening's animated. It has this little thing about wolves and how a woman, you know, kind of ruled these wolves in the forest. And you're like, okay, so I understand what they're drawing illusions, but it's really a pretty straight, um, you know, catch the person in the forest type movie. It just has a couple of very intense sequences. I don't think it would be a big, like, Oh, this is going to be a trigger film. Like the next movie I'm going to talk about, but I do think it's intense. Like it, it's, 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 fun but not as fun to me as like alone was like it's not as clever maybe i think you'd be interested to hear what you say because it is very stylish excellent and, and that is right now it's brand new to shutter and shutter. the actor his name is ari warthaler I, I looked him up i hadn't seen him anything but uh you know it's interesting I, I think this will be the kind of horror film that a lot of people really gravitate towards i think i preferred something like hunter hunter but i do think this could be somebody's like favorite of the year it's got that kind of potential i think and that is called Hunted. Hunted. There's a lot of movies with titles like that. <laughs> um, so next up, I will talk about Don't Listen. Mm. And this is currently playing on Netflix. And this was actually recommended to me by somebody on Twitter. Um, the setup of this is that a husband and wife um, flip houses for a living. And they move into one with their nine-year-old son. And immediately he starts having sleeping problems. He says that the walls are talking to him. Um, He can't sleep because he's hearing all these voices. And so his parents hire a psychologist because they're like, our kid's crazy. And then this crazy tragedy happens and um, the parents are left by themselves. Hmm. And so it, it just really starts, you know, moving from crazy kid to he is found in um there's a pool outside that is like a pivotal part of the first act and he's found drowned in it and then after that don't look now playbook exactly that's exactly where this um and it it, but it takes a long time to get to that like that is the first act Hmm. so um but that said there's some decent scare sequences leading up to that point, but that is when the movie actually feels like mm. it starts. Like, honestly, I found the first act to be kind of the most, um, you know, waiting for something to happen and then something finally happens. But at that point, um, his parents start hearing the voices in the house and specifically they start hearing their son and they start hearing him on recorded devices and noticing that something's speaking through electronics and stuff like that. And then they hire somebody to try to figure out what's going on. They bring in a paranormal expert. The movie is supposed to be uh, definitely an exploration of grief. It does not get there the way that hereditary does. Like it is, it is not, it's very kind of a a surface examination of grief. Like we feel it through the wife Um, and it doesn't get there the way that like, don't look now does. It does not have that same, this is kind of like a very kind of glossy haunted house movie exploration of grief. Hmm. Um, but ultimately it does have some decent jump scares. I will say that watching the movie, I kept thinking like, I feel like I've seen this before. Like, I felt like I'd seen the setup of like the kid who hears voices and then, you know, well, didn't was that one earlier in the year? We sort of come play with me that had has a similar Mm -hmm. setup to it. Yeah. Um, and you get that the kid in this is special. I don't think he's autistic like it was in, um, that prior one. 
Come play, I think it was yeah. called. But yeah, it, it definitely feels like creepy kid can hear shit and parents don't believe him and then something happens and now they believe him. So it did feel like a very, very familiar setup and film. That said, it did have some good scare sequences to it. And whereas I was kind of like approaching it, um, I, I looked at it afterwards. It's like, this was okay for me. It was just okay. When you look at the reviews online, there are people that were like, scariest film of the year, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely is getting some hype online. So what the fuck do I know? Um, I think that, but- I don't want to say generic, but I think that very standard um, creepy sound design type film it, it usually like hardcore horror fans tend to not be that into it, but it does seem like yeah. not normal viewers tend to really get into those kind of movies and scared by them, which is interesting. And I, I'd say that might be the case because this is exactly what you would expect it to be. It's a little boy sitting on his bed. And then all of a sudden he hears these voices of like, help me, I'm in the well. Mm. And things like that. And so, and it becomes very whispery and, you know, and him, you know, mommy, the voices won't stop. And then she thinks he's insane. Like we've seen this movie before. Mm. Um, But I could see like, if I had not seen this movie before, I probably would look at this and go, okay, it is doing some seriously scary stuff. It does have some chilling moments to it. Um, And this one is on Netflix. So what do you have to lose? Yeah. Um, I I noticed that a while ago that that one, it looks, there's sometimes these ones that pop up on Netflix with no fanfare, no, no word of mouth. You're just like, oh, are you going to watch it or not? (laughs) Yeah, this one, it definitely, um, it did pop up on my like recommendation thing on Netflix where like I log in and it's like you would like, and this was definitely prominently featured. Um, It is a Spanish film that has been dubbed. I don't recall any major bumps with the dub on this one. Um, whatever it was, I lost myself in the film not um, paying attention to it. What was the horror series you recommended last year that was on Netflix that's French or German? Marianne. Marianne, I love that's still one of my favorite things I've seen. But the the yep. dub, I had already started watching it dubbed for a couple episodes, and then I tried, and it wasn't very good dubbing. And then I tried to go back to the the, the original language. And once you've done something for a while, you can't go back because it's like <laughs> the, the characters are now established. But that that series is great. Like if people haven't it seen is. it. It's creepy. phenomenal. Marianne creepy. is still one of my favorite things I saw last year. Super creepy, super. I'd love to see an American that remake one. of that. Actually, that's one of the few things I do think could remake really well. You know, I actually, England. you're right on you know. that. And Marianne, I did watch the English language version. Um, usually, if it's television, I will always watch English language because I watch TV. If yeah. I'm watching TV, I'm doing something else. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see asking. Um, here's a movie you won't be able to do anything else while you watch. Uh, I won't go deep into it too because a you haven't seen it, and b it's kind of the water cooler movie this, right now. It's promising. This is the hype of the world, right? Yeah, now. and I don't even know if I mean it fits into horror fine, even though it's not just horror. It's, it's horror in the way the movies I would compare it to. The easiest one is Hard Candy for sure, uh, which I liked a lot when I first saw Hard Candy. A little bit of the movie Revenge and things like that. It's kind of got the pop bubblegum aesthetic of revenge, um, but a very different kind of um, idea on its mind. But it's called Promising Young Woman. It's the feature debut by Emerald Fennell, who is an actress who, if you look her up, you've probably seen her in a bunch of stuff over the years. And I imagine she was friends with Carrie Mulligan, who she got to be the star, who's fantastic in it. Bo Burnham, who's a comedian and the director of the movie Eighth Grade from a couple years ago. Um, he He's fantastic in it as an old friend. Alison Breeze in it. Um, it's one of those films where it's getting, it's really interesting. It, it's rare that film Twitter and kind of the, 
criticism is that interesting i find to movies i find usually it's just like one note but this has been hugely divisive and i mean people are like like uh, this film triggered me i can't watch it to this is the best thing i've ever seen representing my feelings to also it's just a great roller coaster um so i'd say forget the noise initially when you watch the movie don't read up on it and just watch it as a movie and as a movie it really i think it really delivers as a emotional story i think at points i was feeling terrible and other points i'm feeling scared and other points I'm rooting for the vengeance. It's definitely a, a vengeance uh, type of movie. And often vengeance can uh, get really dark and uh, doesn't always go well, right? That's that's the problem with revenge. So, um, But it's really at the heart of it. It's about this uh, woman who uh, used to be training to be a doctor, but since just works in a coffee shop, uh, you start to piece together why sh- she has kind of let her life, uh, more or less her ambitions fall by the wayside because of something that happened traumatized her to a close it actually happens to a close friend of hers which is i've never really seen that st- oh actually i think hard candy might be that too but where instead of a, the victimization being the the protagonist it was a close friend of the protagonist but it's affected mm-hmm. her similarly and what she goes about doing from the start of this movie i don't even want to ruin anything because it's just it's just nuanced and very simple but there's some pretty huge uh turns as this film goes on and I think I just think everyone should see it, and and then afterwards maybe read more than just one review of it because I think what we're seeing it we're also seeing with movies like this, um, unlike something as just you know a typical rape revenge movie might not uh, provoke in the way that this does. Um, I think we're seeing some people write some very personal things and respond with their own stories, and I think that's always uh, makes for very interesting um, kind of analysis. Yeah, this one has definitely opened a dialogue and it's been really bifurcating with viewers where even just looking at Twitter this weekend where I was seeing like, this is the best movie of the year. I felt like it was speaking to me. And then other people being like, this is absolutely abhorrent. It, you know, triggered me all, all this like whole variety of emotions from it. Um, I did not get a chance to watch it because this is my fourth podcast. Yeah, no, we are on a weird run. I got to say, this is my third in four days, and and yeah. I, I was definitely feeling it too. So I totally can feel your pain. Yeah, you I, I suddenly I reached a point where I was like, I cannot watch anything that is yeah. not assigned for shows at this point. Well, I am excited to watch. The main this. thing I the main pitch I'll have to people is I would say this, even if you didn't end up liking it because of the content, in terms of a film debut, this might be. I mean, I felt this way about Revenge too, where I was like, Jesus Christ, that's your first film, like this feels like somebody who knows how to craft a movie it's very funny it's very smart so so if you don't like it, it won't be because of the craft it will be because there's something in the content that you rub with but to me this is one of the most kind of uh i don't give a fuck what you think movie pre- debuts i've seen in a long time and i will say there's one scene that's very early in the film so it doesn't ruin anything where she's just walking down the street kind of dressed up from the night before and there's she's getting wolf whistled by three guys in hard hats, three big dudes across mm-hmm. the street. And she just, and they're like, come on, baby, you know, typical kind of scene. She just turns them and stares at them. And they're like, yeah, come on. And they keep going for a while. And then they kind of stop. And then they start to get angry and they're like, just leave, stop looking at us. And she keeps looking and she keeps looking and, and will not break until they walk away. And that, to me is kind of what the film does. It's almost like what she does in that one moment. She's like, no, I'm going to hold my ground until you give up. That's the kind of strength. And that's a nothing scene in the context of the story. But it, to me was kind of symbolic of what the movie is. And I thought that's pretty cool. So um, so that's promising young woman. And I think everyone should check it out. You know, I'm excited to see this one. Um, So hopefully I'll be reporting back. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear. 
So um, I was prepping for uh, an upcoming episode of Pure Cinema. Don't give any so away. I, I won't. I won't give anything away. Um, but I was watching um, particular types of movies. Oh no, you can give away the topic. I don't mind that. Just don't give away oh. any of your major picks. <laughs> oh no, no, I didn't talk about this one on the show. Um, so I uh, was watching Animal Attack movies for an upcoming episode of Pure Cinema, and so I decided to check out one that a lot of people had recommended to me, and this is 2018's The pool. Oh, yeah. And this is the one um, with guy stuck in a deep diving pool with a crocodile, or it may be an alligator. Actually, I'm fairly sure it's a crocodile. Let's go crocodile. Um, and hey, remind me, what is the difference again? Having just crocodiles have a pointed snout, alligators have a rounded one. Is it different what and kind of waters they are in? Crocodiles, well, there are saltwater crocodiles. I'm not sure if they are only saltwater. Right. Alligators are only freshwater. Right. Okay. At least I think um, my herpetology is a little off. So yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. I know that one has rounded, one has pointed okay. snout. And I think that crocodiles typically are a little bit longer, but I think I might be wrong on the freshwater versus saockwater because in Australia, you have crocodiles. Yeah. And they're and not they on salt water. water. They're, yeah. They're freshwater. They're all saltwater. No, they're, yeah, they're so freshwater. They're yeah. 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 So I think they can be both. Um, and I know there are saltwater crocs versus freshwater. So yeah. Um, anyway, Thailand, the pool. Um, this is from 2018. This one was scary and funny and wild for two thirds of the movie. And then it lost me in the third act, um, much in the same way. And for the same reason that it did him breaking surface. Um, but the oh, okay. setup of okay. this okay. is that um, this ca- there's this crazy artistic photo shoot happening at the bottom of this 20 foot deep pool. And they've got a couch down there and a tree and this beautiful model with this flowing gown. And they're taking all these really artistic underwater pictures and video. And then the guy who runs production design for it the next day, his job is to drain the pool Um, or he's, he's breaking down the set. And so um, there's two of them. One shows up and is like, hey, I'm going to go drain the pool. And he's talking to him, but the other guy is floating on a raft sleeping. And so he doesn't hear the, I'm going to go drain the pool. And so he's sleeping on the raft in this middle of the pool. And then the other guy, after he starts draining, leaves and says, you know, I'm going home for the weekend. Um, Actually, I think he was like leaving on a trip or something. So then the other guy wakes up. The pool has drained down so that it's like barely any water in it. He's still on the raft and he's now by himself. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have a cell phone. He, everything, he's diabetic. His insulin shots are off on the side in a bag. And um, so he's now completely by himself in a drained 20 foot pool. Why is there not like a side ladder? It's a great question. I've never been in a um, pool that didn't have a side ladder. So what's up? So there is a ladder, but you get that they pulled it out for the photo shoot and it had not been put back in yet because right. there is like a ladder off to the side. Okay. Um, and then, it, it, you know, there's there's all of these different little set pieces where like at one point there's a pizza delivery guy who comes because his friend delivers pizza because he realized he left him there working. Um, and the pizza delivery guy, you know, all this, by the way, the movie was partially financed by Pizza Hut. Yeah. So there's a couple of Pizza Hut mentions in there, including the Pizza Hut delivery guy, Hmm. and to talk about how delicious the pizza is. Um, But that said, this was, I mean, it's it's a very CG'd crocodile. Um, I will say, like, the first 10 minutes of it almost lost me because it was so CG'd. Um, But then from then out, the 
future scenes of the crocodile did not feel as CG'd as that first 10 minutes. The first 10 minutes is this really intense scene um, they do as a cold open where it's kind of flashing forward where the crocodile has the most action and it's really rough. And then once it gets into more of like standard crocodile action of how do I keep you over on that side of the pool, the CG was not as painful to watch. This one, again, lost me in the third act because it got so bleak. It was like, why do you even go on, man? There's nothing left. It was just, it became like the Sophie's choice of like fun crocodile movies. Because they had to choose which um, pizza to order? What's happening? What's the Sophie's it got, choice? Like, it got intense. I don't want to ruin know, it for I everybody. Um, but yeah, I will say there's there's more dead dog action. Uh, um, and yeah, and it just, it got bleak in the third act. Like like unnecessarily bleak. And I have a feeling again, um, when I was looking at this, that it was somebody saying, there's nothing dangerous that's happened yet. No one has died um, because it's just the guy in the crocodile and his girlfriend gets involved at one point, but no one has died. So therefore we need to have something die. And I so, say add, add a stoner character, not a dog. If you're going to kill someone, it's always fine. If it's just some stoner, they slip in the pool, stoner, they get eaten. Stoner. Yeah. Random stoner um, can well, go anywhere. There is one of those as well. Of course there is. Um, I can't <laughs> recall if he gets eaten or not, but for some reason the dog had to bite it as well. Okay. So that was kind of my big hang up with this one. And it wasn't even just the dog, like the third act. I could tell that they were trying to take this really dark, heavy turn with the third act and make it real intense. And it lost me a little bit in just how intense it does get. But that said, first two acts were if you're into your animal attack movies, it was it was a pretty fun ride. Forgiving the um, sketchy CG. All right. Um, yeah, I last and just for truth, uh, I lasted nine minutes exactly uh, when I first tried a few weeks back. But it was just because I didn't know much about it at the time. I hadn't heard anyone talk about it. I just was like, what? Uh, CG? Bye. Um, so I bounced. But I OK, so my last big one here is actually my favorite film I saw this week and definitely one that's going to need some people to sing its praises. Uh, this is a film that has a very kind of cheap looking um, kind of black and white poster that I thought this was like a $50,000 movie to be perfectly honest when i saw the title it's called the empty man and I so i almost watched last night yeah so i saw the artwork and i was like okay is this a you know low budget indie and then so i passed it when we're doing our best of at the end of the year this turns out it was actually a fox uh disney dump so when disney took over fox this is one of the films that actually got dumped so it turns out it's not a fifty thousand, more like a multi-million dollar horror film and i'm like oh wow. and a friend of mine uh dick a uh, friend of the show uh raved about it to me he was like oh my god you're gonna love this movie and i was like really and then then he goes but let me warn you it's two hours and 20 minutes now when is the last time you saw any horror film i mean horror films don't tend to be even Mid-summer. two hours yeah but that's a, yeah that's a, its own thing right like it's it, yeah. so i was a really it to watch two hours yeah minutes. so i'll say uh, one one thought i have because watching it never feels slow so I'm, it, don't let that put you off um i wonder if it ended up that length because it was dumped like maybe there was going to be a final polish before it would have gone to mm-hmm. theaters that got abandoned i don't know but it has got a long prologue and this prologue to me is uh, is not quite in Pedagore, but it's up there the prologue of this movie kicks ass it is in the middle of like the himalayas or somewhere uh uh, two uh, two couples are uh, doing a massive hike to you know just into the kind of snow regions and they one of them falls down this cavern and basically sees like almost like a ritual type god like from the movie ritual this like skeleton thing and then he starts having basically he almost shuts down in shock and you start to wonder if he's communicating to some sort of deity anyways i'm not going to tell you exactly what happens with this group but then that's just the first like 20 minutes. Then it cuts to the present 
And this movie goes from basically being the ring. So after that moment, it becomes kind of like teenagers and there's uh, teenagers, a couple teenagers are dying because of this uh, urban legend that if you blow on a bottle that you find on the uh, on the side of on a bridge uh, and wait and think very hard about the empty man, this thing will come. So it's a story. And then about 30 minutes later, you start to realize, wait a minute, now I'm watching Zodiac or or, <laughs> or a movie like an investigative dark uh, film, and that's where most of the movie goes. I'm not going to say there's there's two movies I could just reference that would basically give away how this movie goes, where it's headed, um, and so avoid spoilers on this one. Um, but it was really it basically this uh, this uh, Marin Ireland from Dark and the Wicked, you know, the sister in Dark and the Wicked. Her mm-hmm. daughter is one of the ones who goes missing at the start, and her a guy she had had a, a affair with at some point as a cop. He basically starts helping her. Uh, look for the daughter and through all her friends starts realizing a lot of people are missing and this name the empty man keeps coming up there's kind of a scientology-esque church involved so it goes kind of cult and it keeps going and it and it just is kind of like going down spirals and layers and layers and layers and what's so interesting is the references to saying it kind of felt like a fincher movie after being uh-huh. like the ring and then as soon as this movie ended i was like wow this is actually a really impressive movie it turns out it was based on a boom studios massive comic book series called the empty man um by colin and bun um oh i love colin bun's been on the show before oh so maybe this, this is so we the, had him on that's for, right i didn't uh, i only just read based we had him on i i haven't read this one so yet but colin and bun and vanessa for- del rey's empty man yeah Okay, so I didn't even put it together that it was Cullen Bunn who we talked to before. I remember now. I I had no idea this was him. Anyway, um, so that's good. So I feel even better that I'm giving it love. Um, James Dale Badge is the copies from The Gray and The Departed. But what what, what is so interesting is I look the guy up, and this is his first feature, right? And I'm like, okay, that's crazy. He's made this big movie. Uh, He did the documentary for every single David Fincher behind the scenes. So he's literally wow. like this weird extra feature protege of Fincher. And it makes so much sense in the style um, and how he probably got offered. And so he's not some young buck. It's not like he's he's not some 20-year-old. He's probably maybe might even be 50 or saying this is first feature. But I don't know. I, I really like this one. It's really atmospheric. It doesn't drag despite its running time. Could it be 20 minutes shorter? Sure. Uh, um, I'm sure there's places they could have trimmed if they wanted. But I think if you like cult stories and a little esoteric horror that also um, is just going to continually deliver with actual scares. This is going to be like one of those gems for a lot of people. It won't be for everyone, but uh, I think people who kind of know my taste will probably go, oh, okay, I like that kind of weird. It, get, it gets weird and dark. Um, but yeah, this was a nice surprise. I never would have pushed play without the push. Like, honestly, the cover art, I was like, oh, it just looks like, a, it looks like Slenderman, basically. And that's not what the movie is at all. So, uh, wow. so that's The Empty Man. It's a, it's a newish release, so it's probably five bucks on. Uh, Amazon, but um, I'm in. It's, it's only going to get saved by a word of mouth because clearly Disney didn't care. So, um, well, the last one that I'll mention, I'll say, is for an acquired audience. Um, this is definitely one that I don't think mass horror fans are going to love. So, this one kept popping up on my Netflix recommendations as well, and it took me a while. Um, and this is Blood Ride, hmm. which is just kind of a, a campy name to begin with. This is a Norwegian television series um, that just came to Netflix probably in January, I'm guessing. And it is basically like a more fucked up version of amazing stories or kind of a darker black mirror is the best way I could put it. It is little short horror stories, like 20 minutes long. And the wraparound, it is anthology. The wraparound is literally nothing. It opens with this like 
twisted bus driver driving this like decrepit bus through the rain and then he'll stop and he'll let off a passenger or a passenger will sometimes get on. And that is the person that the story is going to be out. About. Oh. In six episodes, I had no idea where the bus was going, what it was doing. I don't know if it's a bus to hell. I don't know if it's a bus to purgatory. I don't know if the bus is cursing people. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's an anthology series with little stories and a very, very vague, loose, completely inconsequential wraparound. Um, and the bus does not play into the actual stories in any capacity. Hmm. Um, I watched four out of the six of these. And I have to say the four that I watched were pretty fun. Um, definitely the, they're not all straight up horror. Like don't go in expecting every single one to be like a, a creep show episode. Um, some of them are much more kind of just weird tales and sci-fi. The the one that I probably most enjoyed that I watched was um, this one called Bad Writer about a girl who's taking a writing class and then begins to suspect that she may actually be a character in someone's story mm. and starts trying to test it. And you don't know if she's going insane, but at the same time, her roommate's acting really impulsively. And the only way she can explain it is that someone else is writing her story. And um, it's just a really kind of fascinating place that it goes. Um, there was another one called The Old School, which was by far the creepiest of the ones that I watched, which was kind of more straight up ghost story. Um, there was one called The Ultimate Sacrifice about a family who moves into this rural area and thinks that everybody in town is kind of weird. Um, and then it discovers this town secret of if you sacrifice something on this particular slab in the middle of the woods, you will be gifted with good luck. So if you take a rat you'll get like five bucks. But if it's more valuable to you, the price will keep going up. So obviously there's some kind of like cruel twist of fate in there. Um, And so, yeah, this one was actually kind of fun. Um, They did all feel, I'll say PG 13 ish. Don't it's, it's, you're not going to see any like crazy horror nudity or heavy gore in this. But as far as like a darker, scarier version of amazing stories, these were only 20 minutes long. They were definitely kind of like, well, I have 20 minutes before I have to get to bed or whatever. I'll throw on. Were they one. like um, cheap or did they look like they had real money? Behind? Oh, no. These were produ- these had production okay, cool. value. Yeah. These were definitely not cheap. They were incredibly well shot. They all had very different sets and they had huge casts. Like that's one thing that I was shocked by is these ha- all had really big casts, like an entire town. Okay. Uh, And the last thing I'm going to recommend, but I'm not going to go deep on it. Uh, You heard me talk early on in our show. I discovered Shyamalan's show, The Servant um, for Apple. The first season was awesome. Uh, And that's, uh, you know, kind of a tone that I like. Um, The second season just started. It's not bingeable. It's just one at a time. Where is it going to go? It's Apple TV. So it's all out on No, no, no. I mean, I watched the first season. Oh, you did? Oh, you never told me that. No, neither do I. But here's the cool thing. And this is why I'm bringing it up. And I'm really excited about this. Uh, Julia. Ducournau, who directed Raw. So a couple years ago, remember we all remember Raw, the cannibalistic, um, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, what what school is it? Biology school? That veterinarian. veterinarian. So she hasn't made anything since then. This is she directs the first two episodes of the second season, and then and then she has her new feature uh, is almost finished. So I looked it up after. I was like, oh, cool! What a cool choice. Interesting. I couldn't tell from the first episode. Like there was nothing about it that. <laughs> told me that anyone else had directed it but anyway um but so just look out for that yeah i'm really curious i think it's gonna my guess is we're 
headed in a cult kind of storyline, which is always fun. Yeah. But um, the first season is so, so much its own thing. It's so bingeable too, because they're all like th- 28 minutes and you just kind of go flying through it, you know? That's exactly it is. I think I watched the entire thing yeah. in two days. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's good. I mean, yeah. it's a really interesting tone. You're trying to kind of work it out and the performances are all great. So um, that's what I liked was the mystery of it. And it did have these kind of like fucking with your head yeah. moments that I was like, when it became a real baby, I was like, wait, is everybody just okay with this? Yeah. Are we just all going with this? And, and that idea of that, like, and Hereditary has it too a bit, which is like, if you suffer a tragedy, uh, you know, is it a, is it okay to just be stupid? <laughs> like, is it okay to like actually be ignorant just to get over shit, or is, or do you have to actually face pain, you know, in your yeah. life? And I think some of the character, the guy from Harry Potter, is particularly awesome. Uh, what's his name? Rupert, Gint, whatever his name is, the the, the good friend in, yes. in Harry Potter uh, is pretty good as the brother in the show. So, um, so yeah, look out for that one um, if you haven't already caught up with it and knowing Shyamalan I just hope he knows what the ending is and I hope they're not just making it up as they go along uh, I hope it's going play but anyway that's uh, that's our all our new stuff wrapped up uh, alright Giallo January we said we were going to do something we're going to have a time out Giallo January. Um, and for the past couple of years, I don't even know how Giallo January became a thing. I, well, I, I don't know. I, cause I, it just seems so natural. I do know that Cinematic Void, which is a screening series in uh, LA that uses the Egyptian theater, uh, Jim Brascom, uh, has been doing screenings during January of Giallo films for the last couple of years. I know that. And I know sometimes I think they've been doing a podcast as well in some. I don't know mm-hmm. if there was something before that, though. Like, I don't know if it's just always been a thing. <laughs> it feels yeah. like it's always existed, January. Jello. It's like October or March Madness. Yeah. It's Giallo uh, January. And I feel like you and I have just, I don't know what it is about Giallo, because some people obviously don't get into Giallo. I know a lot of people just don't really find them very interesting. But I think there's something about when you get into so many horror films, and if you like style in your horror films, there's something once you get into Giallo, and then you go deeper past the surface, and then you go through some boring ones, and then you start to discover the weird stuff. And there, it's really a bit of a gift that keeps giving. There's a lot of movies in there, and they're all quite different, despite having you know, key, key elements that we, you know, uh, can identify it. When you break from that, you sometimes find the kind of weird gems that we've sometimes bonded over. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a place where like you and I agree. Um, cause usually like Elric likes stuff that's like good. five hours long. I like and, the good stuff, um, like the two hour and 20 like, movie minute movie I just discussed. Five hour long movies that have six shots and two edits. I don't Speaking even know how which, that works. But, I did just um, get Sad and Tango in the mail today and it is seven and a half hours. <laughs> and I think it's only a handful of takes and I've, I've always been very excited to see it. I just don't know when in my life I will get to play oh my it God. seven hours. Oh my God. Um, so come on over. Um, so, <laughs> No, no, I'll pass on that uh, one. Uh, you may have me on the empty man, but I'm going to pass uh, on that one. Uh, um, and whereas I want things with like explosions or heavy bloodletting or possibly cannibalistic locusts, or they wouldn't be cannibals. They'd be man eating locusts. They can be cannibals too. Okay. Um, they eat everything. Yeah. Um, you know, something You're like open-minded. that or giant sharks. Um, but you, we, we tend to have very different tastes, but we really do agree on, I'll say Euro trash, but also really a Jello films are a place where we both just get excited. I think, I don't know if altogether, cause I am usually into the more arty thing, but it seems when art and horror do headbutt each other, you tend to be on board too. So I feel like, yes. and, and Giallo is definitely one of those meeting points. And there's a, a lot of other things like Daughters of Darkness and movies, obviously Suspiria and things where it's like, oh, it's part art film, part, you know, actual intense horror. And somehow the two things 
merge and you get some of the best movies, I think, in movies. Oh, yeah. Um, so Jalo are definitely the good ones. <laughs> do that. Uh, in terms of like, well, so basically we were talking about what we would do and we went through a different thing. We we're going to do American Jalos and we went through we a whole bunch. We were talking about doing the history of Jalos yeah. and then we talked about doing American uh, movies that were inspired by Jalos. Yeah, Jalo and now. we touch a little bit later in the show, like after this. this but I thought, what about just a brief brief like a little less scripted conversation let's just hear this title this title this title and more just like let's pick five elements uh of a giallo film and just talk about what we like about them or why they are interesting in giallo and then some titles will get thrown around or, or things about it and maybe we can learn more about the giallo by just doing that versus being a bit more prescripted or something yeah um, yeah so, giallo films are very formulaic in that capacity um they function much like slasher films which makes sense because slasher films come out of giallo films they are direct descendants of them and in that there are certain much like with a slasher film you have your final girl you always have the masked killer you know that's always the group of teens there's kind of these very formulate qualities of it and even the way that they're structured out. Jello films tend to have elements like that as well. Um, but some of them are visual, which is definitely something that you don't necessarily see in slasher films. There's like no set way to shoot a slasher. Except except but, the generic like point of view, you know, the stuff yeah, they do from Jason. The point of view but it's never as like stylized that. as it is in Jello's use of that. So we identified five elements that we think really kind of make giallos what they are, obviously being Italian, but that's not one. So we, we really kind of pinpointed five things that were like, this is some one of the formulas that you will see in a giallo, one of the tropes that you will see in the majority of them. And so we are going to go through those and talk about some of the films that really um, draw that in and celebrate. Yeah, or that we like. And um, just to, to, you know, the backup for those who are new, you know, so giallo, it literally translates to yellow, right? But in Italy, that that, that word yellow basically means thriller. So it's like it, it doesn't, it, because of the thriller paperbacks that were really popular in the 50s. So that is, a, the word almost means, yellow almost means a different thing to them in terms of the thriller. And that comes from a, a crime movie that actually, I didn't realize this part last time we talked about the German crimi films when we did that noir episode. Mm-hmm. Turns out they're all basically this one, uh, based on this one writer, Edgar Wallace, who wrote King Kong, the original King Kong script. He then wrote all these German crime novels that became popular, and then wow. Giallo came from that. I didn't know it was now, based I on his. I reason thought that a lot of the crime novels were coming out of France as well. There are crime novels too, but I think it was these ones from, I think it's Germany and Denmark that were the ones that had all these same touch points, like the the masked killers, the gloves, the hat, the style. Um, but again, it's a different thing. It's a little more crime. But the, the reason I'm putting these before we get into it is, but there's one movie that I think, because you know, obviously the Italian cinema is based on these trends, right? And what's popular at the time. Uh, there's one movie that wasn't Italian, but was directed by a famous Italian who is not a horror director and is an art house director, but pretty much everything in this one movie, you then see a uh, trickle through Giallo and that's blow up by Antonioni mm-hmm. because it's a murder mystery, but it's an intellectual one, right? Like, so it's not even very exciting when you're watching it. It kind of meanders through. It's got a David Hemmings in the lead and it's, he's directed by this Italian, but, uh, but the film itself is not really interested in the thriller, even though it has that, but it's about high, you know, high society and fashionable people and swinging sixties and, you know, all these things that we then see replicated in the Giallo. So I, I just thought it's really important to like think about that movie before you even think about what the trend is. Cause again, a lot of trends, you know, whether it's post apocalyptic because of Mad Max or, you know, whatever the trend is, they always start with Dirty Harry. It, it starts a fad in a country like Italy. And in this case, I think blow up's a big uh, kind of style point for all these films. 
It really is. Um, well, the one that is always kind of pointed to as the origins of Giallo um, are the the girl who knew too much, yeah, um, which is one of Bava's films, and that you know everything after the success of that one, um, and that one it has some of the elements which we'll talk about in a sec, but yeah, and then everything kind of comes from there. We see them slowly start going and then they really pick up speed during the uh the seventies into the early eighties is when you yeah, see the crazy. huge glut of Giallo films, like literally dozens coming out every year. Yeah. And and I I was just thinking about this the other day and laughing, the idea of people seeing these in theaters. You know, like like it's weird. Like like the movies we yeah. go to in theaters, like I'm thinking some of these titles go, wait, people are in a packed theater on a Friday night watching House with Laughing Windows. It's like, really? Like, that, uh, take me to that planet. Um, but anyway, so we'll, we'll go through five of the, a few of these things. So the number one and the one that I think most people, as, in terms of a barometer, and it has obviously lots of moving parts, but that is visual style, right? So most of these films, and I won't say all of them because some of them definitely um, go with kind of a more traditional cinematic look, but the bulk of these ones, the ones that have become most well-known have a very um, distinctive visual style. It's very stylized. It feels very unrealistic. It uses excessive amounts of close-ups, eyeballs, fingers, um, close-ups on objects that you may not particularly include in B-roll, but they're shot so artistically that your B-roll takes on meaning and aesthetical quality within the movie. It definitely um, feels like you feel the shadow of Hitchcock. It, you know, if you watch the opening of Rear Window and it's just a camera showing you things, it feels like that became a big part of their language. Like there are a lot of different odes, show, don't tell, kind of not through dialogue. And I think moving camera is another part of that. The camera, you know, obviously the best work, the artwork of Argento and people like that, the camera's moving. The camera is like almost a character in the film, you know, not just the killer character, but also it's just telling you exactly where to look at all times. And the murder set pieces are the reason to watch it. So the visual style is usually a murder set piece. Or like there's some movies where all you remember is like some of these incredible set pieces because of what the camera did in relation to the characters being killed. And so my favorite example of that is Fifth Chord. Um, I I have seen seen Fifth Chord so many times. I, for the life of me, cannot tell you the plot of Fifth Chord. But I can remember specific shots because it is so distinctive and beautiful in the cinematography in that it's vittorio Storaro who did apocalypse now and all the all, he's yeah. like one of the best in the world and ennio morricone did the score it's it's one of those movies where the style and it's franco nero and i think it's based on i think the killer is doing something to do with the um star signs because i think the alternate title is something black ram you know something about aries or so, you know what i mean like uh-huh. uh, but but yeah this is the one that most of us didn't get to see until the last few years where it got a a nice you know kind of re-release but just it's again style over substance is a big part of a lot of these and that shows but i think yeah like opera in terms of the way the camera is used in opera and the style tenebrae obviously some of these just red how intense coloring is in that tenebrae does the same thing with the red on whites throughout that and tenebrae uses a lot of like weird trippy roving camera um i also wrote down our namesake, All the Colors of the Dark. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot of fun one, too. And that's and that's a little less atypical of Jal in terms of the story because it's got cult and Satanists and stuff, but it's it's all the same. It's kind. real hippie. It's like trying to do a commentary on hippie culture as well. And within that, it gets into a lot of um, uh, trippy camera making 
trippy camera work. Yeah, there yeah. is some incredible POV stuff in there, but it's a lot of trippy camera. Work. Yeah, but I think what we're getting at is it's a they it's artistic. So some Italian cinema is known for being kind of um, schlocky because it's thrown together so fast. These films often look uh, really well put together. They're often uh, experimental. They'll do something that seems experimental and bold and colorful. Uh, you, you know, you thinking about Bava's. Um, uh, what's the one with the uh, his second? There's one afterwards with all the incredible models and in the um, blood and black. Lace. Yeah, blood and black lights. My brain just like it, it's just like so. It just pops right, and it's not like yeah. a normal thrill. So that unreal quality, which is what Hitchcock. You watch a movie like Marnie, and you're like, oh, is is it's not even really meant to be real, but it's emotionally real in some way, like yeah. how we feel. But I, I did pull a Hitchcock quote here that I almost think this Hitchcock quote defines what we're talking about, which is Hitchcock says, film your murders like love scenes and film your love scenes like murders. And if you think about what's happening in Giallo films, they're literally doing that. These murders are being shot so lovingly and like they're putting all the lead into the actual murder. And then the uh, love scenes are somewhat more ugly and throw away. I don't know. They are very quick and dirty and um, yeah, they they feel very thrown together and not well shot yeah. and then when we get murder scenes they're beautiful but there's so many so the visual style you know we'll come back i'm sure i'll keep coming up throughout some of these but there are lots of great looking films uh the, the next one we kind of highlighted was something that is a big part of these which is fashion but within okay. that i said clothes houses locations like well, i'm also gonna broaden it even more yeah. into the arts yeah. because a huge amount of these movies focused around artists musicians singers um actors um and so because of that like you really see it's not even just the architecture um or you know the kind of the backdrop of them that they do have these very kind of fashionable artistic hip houses um it's very much like this kind of focus on the aesthetic of the world around us in general yeah um so, like, I think for me, I mean, like, if we're just looking at, like, houses, like, Tenembrae, I love that movie because every single time somebody walks into a room, Argento will immediately zoom in on the sculpture or weird piece of art, and then somebody's going to die on top of it within yeah. 20 minutes. Like, every single time, including this, like, massive sculpture at the end where you just, as soon as he walks in, you're like, how do you even keep this in your house? It's literally like a sculpture of knives. They don't have kids. And, um, That's how they yeah, do you don't have kids. That's all it is. Everyone don't has, bump into them so much. It's just kids. Every single time I see one of these movies that has glass stairs, I'm like, someone is going to crack their head on those glass stairs, and then it's going to crack. No, but I mean, these are very, it's like they're very fashionable, uh, very hip. Uh, you get some really modern fashions, and it's like... Uh, the, the person I think of most when I think I think of the, all the films of Martino, like Sergio Martino. When I think of the fashion and the hipness, I think of his relationship, like with Edvig Fennec, like how she comes mm-hmm. off and the, how her beauty. It's a lot of it's pent up. It's almost like I. It's like Playboy and GQ magazines somehow gave life to these movies and and everyone's. But but I, the one I wrote down in my brain was like, is this like trying to work out the why? Is this like the dream? projection of italian life like they want italian life to be like la dolce vita this is the high life this is what they want their life everything to be like. is kind of fancy and artist-based yeah. and there is, there is a lot of fashion like blood and black lace i think is yeah. where a lot of the more fashionable stuff comes out of because that's definitely one of the earlier giallo films you're right a lot of them and are models or photographers of models and yes they're always photographers which actually i reference um in the movie that other uh, Christmas film, all the creatures were uh, stirring. I made Mark Kelly's character, a photographer. That's right, that's right, yeah. in a turtleneck. 
I was like, yeah, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, you're yeah, pulling that's off true. the head of one of those 70s Jalo films. Um, and so even all the way going up to, um, it's not great, but I have a soft spot for it, Murder Rock, uh-huh, yeah. um, where it's, you know, suddenly we're, we're with dancers. And, and that's um, always upper even, class, you know, upper class and wealthy people uh, is, is obviously the focus. I, you're very rare, besides the artists, you're very rarely looking at people without money. I can't think of any, to be oh, honest. Yeah. <laughs> you don't watch working class um, and I will say that I think that one of the movies that really does um, exclamate this is Stage Fright, mm. where we are watching some type of weird experimental musical theater with a dancing owl mm-hmm. and these crazy set pieces, and and then the murder spins out of that. Well, I guess it's um, at a time in Italian culture where the artist was the central of cult. You know, people are going to the movies, they're going mm-hmm. to the theater. That that's when the arts were at their highest peak. So maybe that that makes sense. And this is also, I mean, it's important for people. And I I know. Hard people might not be as into it but it's like uh this cinema which is like for thrills right is coming right off the high point for italian uh, art house filmmaking of the people like Fellini and antonio in the 60s they're like the biggest filmmakers in the world so it's interesting that the 70s become more about exploitation and genre but still has all this artistry running through yeah which is super cool but feminine writings i had to like highlight because that's why me and you in terms of like crazy locations and wealth and using that as part of the storyline. If you look this movie up, you'll see some, you know, the crazy sculpture of the woman's spread legs and just, just even inside his home, it's, it's all used as part of the kind of backdrop, which is great. It's very mod yeah. and it's very, it's very artistic um, home design in that capacity. Yeah. And I saw that Tamina Ryden's is finally getting a Blu-ray release. Yeah, that's so cool. That'll be a fun one to share with people because it isn't quite typical of Jallo either. It's kind of outside that lane, but in it. It doesn't function as yeah. a Jallo film. There's no killer. There's yeah. no black gloves or anything like that. But at the same time, it still has all of the same stylings and tone. Sexual politics um, are exactly, yeah, exactly the same. Um, yeah. So next up, we have the element of mystery. And this is form. kind of, yeah, this is the biggest one. This is the core of what all Giallo films are, is they're murder mysteries. And how the murder mystery functions will change in every single one. But that the element of either I have seen a murder and I'm trying to figure out who the murderer is or someone is killing everyone around me or I'm getting weird notes, um, you know, that's part of every single one of them. And then, you know, the rest of it is just kind of a mix of ingredients to see how it comes together. But it's always going to have that murder mystery. Yeah, so it seems like we've got our influences there are like Agatha Christie novels, uh, Hitchcock for sure, The Who Done It is like yep. the key here. And then I, the things that I thought were interesting, it's often spousal issues. Like it's often rich spouses cheating on each other or having affairs and very, it's almost like the sexual panic of the seventies where everyone could fuck anyone they wanted. So ever, people who are married are all freaking out because they want to do that, but they also are scared of, tra- you know what I mean? It seems to be very much set in that uh, kind of world. Um, and the biggest note I had, which might be an epiphany. And I, I was telling Brian this the other day, cause I was like, Oh, maybe this is what, because again, I, we were fighting over your one, um, <laughs> the one you just mentioned, uh, Aquarius. Um, oh, stage right. right. Like whether it's a slasher, whether it does, obviously it doesn't matter because in Italy they're all they become giallo. But it's a little bit of both. But yeah, but what I was thinking is maybe the real mo- differentiation between a slasher and a giallo in terms of this part is that a slasher, a, no, a giallo, the killer's motivation is almost always criminal intent and some sort of complex revenge plot never i'm a mass killer just 
brutalizing people. I don't think almost mm-hmm. ever. And and a slasher ever. tends to almost always be that, like especially in the eighties, mad person killing people. And I'm like, that is a huge difference because that's why they basically have a plan. So they're they're working to their own rules, each killer in in one of these. But that's where the mystery is. Like, so you have to kind of figure out. It's not just a oh Scooby Doo ending. It's more like oh that person had an actual complex reason to do this to you to drive you crazy. It's always there's like psychological problems, yeah. um, which we'll talk about with some of the giallas that we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, but there is always something kind of more deeper and psychological. It feels like they're pulling all from from Psycho to a degree, yeah. where it's kind of the the advent of psychology in cinema, and this just really exacerbates it. And gaslight, and movies like about like, oh, I'm going to drive my wife crazy so that I can leave her because that's way easier than leaving her. I'm going to drive her insane, <laughs> like that kind that's of. Stuff. It, it, it ends to a mean. I know. Or means to an end. But um, yeah. Some of my favorite mysteries that come out of this, um, Torso. Uh-huh. I have always loved Torso. And torso. torso is close to a slasher too, though. That energy of that yeah. one, yeah. And it shifts gears midway through where it shifts from um, a mystery to kind of more of a tension film yeah. um, way through. Lizard in a Woman's Skin. This is one that I tried to get on our screen drafts pick. And hold, hold it for the me. next one. Hold it for the next category because it's perfect for the next one. I'll, it is. I'll, it is. I will say. I think, I think the psychic's one of the best here because like, it's just one of the yeah. best stories um, where you have to watch the whole thing to get the full picture of the mystery and i think that's the difference between slashers i think the slasher film it's the central problem is the mystery you get to the end of a great slasher and it has a really stupid like dun 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 and or, you know that gets you know we, we have play with it with scream and stuff but when you go to these it was yeah you know made fun. It was 10 it's not the same yeah. house with laughing windows you know when we both share that's yeah that's like got a big kind of whoa this is like kind of powerful story beats at the end that don't feel like just a quick twist um, but I, the other thing I noted is some of them are the titles are the mystery. So what have they done to Solange? So the actual title is your inherent mystery is within yep. the, what happened. And there's a lot of titles like that. So anyway, that's mystery, super important. But I think this next one is probably my favorite thing about these movies because it's a little less hard to pin down. Um, do you want to? Yeah. So this is sexuality and fetishism. Yeah. And this is something that runs rampant through these movies. And it's not, sometimes it's portrayed as like, oh, the killer has like a sexual deviance or is sexually psycho and things like that. Um, sometimes it's, it's like the sexuality becomes the root of their need to kill. Other times the fetish just kind of exists and what is going on kind of teases it out more and a lot um, of it's the director so- when we say use the word fetish it's also a lot of it's the director's fetish of the things they're showing close-ups of right the yep. the the gloves the nails the shiny knives the interiors it's they, it's they feel fetishistic it doesn't feel just like yeah. you're looking at an object there's a lot of black leather there's a lot of glass it's like they're they're these very specific um even just in the way that they're being shot it's not being shot as just killer with black gloves on to conceal identity they're being shot in this very kind of fetishistic black leather on skin manner where we're seeing them delicately put it on and then the way that they touch the the victims with the black gloves on it's very fetishistic. Yeah, it's like the um, plots themselves are Freudian confessions. <laughs> it's like it's like that's the plot. We're just gonna go through this, and by the end, you're gonna go, "Oh, I see." Um, but some of these are our favorites. I know. Um, your vice is a locked door mm-hmm. is one, um, and I know you're a big fan of um, strange vice. Uh, strange vice is. I think I think that's the most fetish. I mean, I think that and the one you were just mentioning before, lizard and woman's skin, are the two maybe most interesting because of the point of view of from the woman's 
internal dream state, right? Mm-hmm. So how, and they're both disturbed, right? And of course being made by men, but, but both of them are re- like in strange vice. She's having these fantasies of this guy she used to be with who like beats her, but it's all done through a fractured uh, lens that they have these little, almost like a spider's vision of broken glass. And he's like breaking glass on her in slow motion. And what should be awful and what should make you feel terrible because it's violence against a woman is somehow a, it's artistic and it's weird fetishized and it just becomes something dreamy and in lizard and woman's skin talk about the opening of that movie she is dreaming of orgies yeah. walking she through is naked dreaming. people on a train and- yeah is like completely naked on a train and then she's in an orgy at the neighbor's party um and so yeah and she keeps having these dreams and it definitely i mean like it it becomes a plot point that like she is envious of it's this hippie girl who lives next door and it becomes very clear that it is like this enviousness of her sexual freedom of how comfortable she is and she's there with her like very stuffy husband having very stuffy um, you know, relations with him and it, she leaves, they, they very much painted as she has a boring existence and she is dreaming of these wild and crazy moments of sexual freedom. And oh yeah, then the girl next door dies and she starts, you know, having visions of that as well. Yeah. But it is all about kind of, you know, infusing this dream quality. I think we see that in Colors of the Dark as well, where it is this kind of yearning for sexual freedom, for breaking away from her really repressive life. And we have to remember that these are movies being made in Italy, one of the most devout Catholic countries on the planet, of course, because the Pope said... So, so to see these movies that are bucking against so much of that, you see them fighting amongst... Like, basically, oh, if you're a woman and you have an affair, you're probably going to get strangled or murdered. Like, there's a lot of that uh, still in the subtext of it just like there are is in slasher movies which i find pretty interesting and one that i've been thinking a lot about when i was thinking about these kind of tropes of giallo films that i never really associated with giallo because i always put it in nunsploitation mm. but as soon as i googled it it's like the giallo film killer nun mm. then i was suddenly like holy shit killer nun is a giallo film mm. and that one is very much exploring the idea of sexual freedom and and kind of fetishistic natures in that where it is a nun who develops a brain tumor and starts really breaking away from the convent and going out and having these little wild, nameless trysts, while at the same time there's this killer afoot, and she starts believing that she might be the killer who's like blacking out after these sexual experiences and then killing people. Hmm. And um, I haven't seen this one. So this sounds like the most you movie you've ever talked about. Killer. It's no. also um, oh god, what's her name? Anita Eckberg oh, yeah, yeah. from yeah, Dolce Vita. Mm-hmm. Uh, plays the nun and she's a little bit older in years, but still, still incredibly sultry and gorgeous with just these piercing eyes. And, um, so yeah, this one, it functions as a giallo film and it's being made at the same time. And I always, you know, really kind of put up these ridiculous walls of no, no, that's, that's non-sploitation, but it is clearly functioning as a giallo film that just happens to have a nun in it. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think, so I think these films are working through a lot, like, and of their obsessive yeah. creators and sexuality and, and repressions and all sorts of stuff. And then the, the last uh, category is, is, I find almost impossible to talk about. So, but we have to highlight it. Um, and that is film scores and music. Um, this, and the reason I say that is we've been doing shows of some kind for the last like seven or eight years. And anytime film scores or music comes up, I find it to be almost impossible to really talk about because you, it's a feeling. But the, but the thing I do, would say about their music, um, and I've written down some of the key names and people, but I think the key is that in, in most Hollywood films, not all, um, score is underscore. 
It's under the picture to bolster the picture up and give you little shots of emotion. I feel in this stuff, obviously with Argento and Goblin stuff, it's overscore. It's another character. It's a feeling of the whole movie, but in the music, you know? It draws attention to itself and it is there to make you realize it. And I mean, I can best demonstrate it through Suspiria, which is not exactly a Jalo film, but still has a lot of the formula of a Jalo film. A sequence is definitely a supernatural film, yeah. Um, but films like Deep Red and The Psychic, their scores are there to beat you over the head. It's not to paint an emotional picture that acts as a nice framing device for the movie. It is there to, you know, kind of scream louder at you than the movie is. And, and, and it's constantly surprising. And also, to be honest, I think some of the best musicians in the history of, you know, film, you know, Ennio Morricone does a ton of, of, of the early Argento um, and does. He did Orca, uh, or, not a jello. But I mean, he's, he's does some in this that are, because um, like anytime you say, like when Morricone died, you know, everyone's saying, like everyone's doing the Western thing. It's like he did so many different things that are so experimental, um, like with children's choirs and singing and off kilter noise is very experimental but uh Riz Orlani who did the my favorite piece of music ever to handle cannibal holocaust but he does the don't torture duckling soundtrack and that soundtrack is like one of the most beautiful pieces of music and you're listening to it in complete contrast to an ugly ugly narrative of uh people killing children and it's being used purposely like that and and so they keep doing you know a couple other ones Claudia Simonetti obviously we've talked about from Goblin uh, Fabio Fritzi, yeah, yeah. Um, and Stelvi uh, Kipriani, who did the Feminine Ride, and so they're, <laughs> but they're but they're they're doing something that's so different. It's almost like the movies would be missing. It's like it's like almost you you didn't have a third act. I feel like it's like that other layer is the score, and this is the one genre that adds this whole other dimension to their movies because of the music. Um, but they're special, and I can just let that's of all the music in the world, I can listen to these anytime, you know, while working or writing or something. You know, it's they're great. Definitely. Um, so with that, we are going to move into our deep cuts. Now for our deep cut this week, Elric and I wanted to do, um, we thought about doing a deep cut giallo, but we talk about those a lot yeah. anyway. So instead we wanted to do um, one of the American films that were later inspired by giallo films. And there's a lot of American films that you can um, just look at and immediately go, oh, this person was referencing the giallo movement. Um, things like Eyes of a Stranger and- um, White of the Eye was one we were talking about. White of the Eye. Um, the big one. Being Basically, De Palma. Everything De Palma he's being, did. It's um, being influenced by Hitchcock, but then I feel like Argento, but this movie, it, it feels like it's being influenced by De Palma. <laughs> and so it's, so yeah, but you hadn't seen this one. So t- you tell us a little bit about this one. So, yeah, this one was an absolute trip. So I watched this um, while cooking on Saturday night. I, I decided I was going to um, pre cook some lasagna and I watched Deadly Messages from 1985 in my kitchen while making lasagna, which was honestly like my ideal evening. It was just wonderful. Um, this movie is kind of a combination of two subgenres of film, but it definitely culminates in a very Giallo inspired and it very much follows Giallo patterns. Um, it is about uh, a couple is heading out for the evening and they've got, I think it's their niece is like yeah. their babysitting, staying with them, um, Cindy. And as they are frantically trying to find shoes so that they can go out, they find a Ouija board hidden in the back of the closet. And their niece is like, hey, can I mess around with this while you guys are gone? And they're like, yeah, sure. Whatevs, we're out. 
And she does. And she contacts somebody who is like, I'm going to kill you. And then they come home and the the wife starts messing around with it. And it says the same thing. I'm going to kill Cindy and then I'm going to kill you. And then it goes from there. And then somebody actually starts showing up and killing them. And when they ask them. I think she witnesses on the way home. I think when she gets home, she's stuck outside and sees the niece murdered, but then they can never find the body. So no one believes her that. She was even killed. No one sees the guy, but the guy looks like a De Palma. It's like a guy in dark sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> it's comical in that way, but it's kind of awesome. Um, this one, this has so much of everything. There's like false and identity. There's chase scenes. It's got yeah. this weird supernatural vibe going on. There's moments of like it being a psychological thing. Yeah. Um, so it's got a lot, but at its root, it is still always a giallo film with Dennis Franz playing the cop as Dennis Franz was born. To yeah. Do. Yeah. Um, who doesn't believe yeah. her because he has it's to have crazy that. broad. Yeah, she thinks that some killer is talking to her through a board. And, yeah, but there's an and interesting thing. I'm not going to ruin the twist, but it's something very interesting with kids' books that I did not see coming. I was like, that is kind of cool. Like, something, there's a whole third act kind of twist about children's books. And I really did enjoy the third act twist yeah. of this, like where it goes. Because um, the whole time I, I was just like, how is this clearly corporeal killer using a Ouija board? Mm-hmm. Like it, and it doesn't explain everything, but the third act definitely gets good. Yeah, I think this was a like an AB, you know, back when TV movies were kind of bonkers, like this kind of bonkers back in those days. So it feels like a kind of a biggish movie, but it's just I think you can watch it on YouTube pretty easily. And yeah, this was an ABC movie yeah. when it came out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I watched it on YouTube because I don't think this is available anywhere else. I looked to see if it was like on you know like a DVD or streaming anywhere, and I couldn't find it. So it's four by three. It's a little grainy, but yeah, it's on. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, no, this is a fun one. I, and again, I think you'll see if you don't see the Giallo influence, you'll definitely see the De Palma influence. And I feel like oh, yeah. it's all it's all similar. But that takes uh, us to our oh, that was called Deadly Messages. Yes, Deadly Messages. Jack Bender. He did something else that was kind of cool. It might be more TV movies. Um, but there's a connection coming that was unexpected. That I'll tell you when we get there. Um, that I- and we do. If you are into some other um, American inspired Giallo films. We actually created a list of them and put them up on our Patreon. Yeah, um, yeah, 20, so yeah. 20 American influ- influenced giallos. Um, and there's some really weird ones in there as well yeah. that I'm, I'm really excited. That yeah, and I just, since we've yeah. done this, I, I think that we both ran across, somebody was posting a couple that I hadn't heard of just in the last few days where I was like, oh, I've never even heard of that. Sit in a movie theater. Oh, send them over. Yeah, so we got to keep them on. So, um, I have a list of giallo films that i've discovered this year that i haven't seen before like a muck yeah um and i I discovered yeah i have a copy of it as well so i've got a couple that save that one for the in the cut was another one wait the jane yeah that's 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 the one i've always loved it it, most people would probably call an art house but it's really a it's really a giallo it's like yeah i'm excited to check that one out it's meg ryan too and it's very sexual so yeah um so i guess to the academic portion of the Peace. But uh, this time, because we are showing uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage in a couple weeks or whenever uh, from now, uh, his next two movies, neither of which, uh, just let's be upfront, neither of which reached the heights of uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is a whole different level. But uh, we are talking about his next two films that both came out, I did not know this till just now, in 1971. Which is very back interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, one of which has been basically just forgotten. I mean, not by fans, but like really just never had a proper release. So we have Cat and Nine Tails, um, which has, I know, a big arrow release. And then Four Flies on Grave on Grave Velvet, 
which is which is hard to find. It has always been hard to find. I saw it. I just saw a good copy a couple of days ago. But prior to that, I'd only seen it on VHS a long time ago. Um, and like I remember watching, kind of understanding why. But now, you know, different feelings now. So yeah. So you take you. I did not rewatch. I saw. Uh, I saw the cat one a few years ago um, for the second time. So I feel pretty good, but you just watched it, right? I just watched cat of nine tails two nights ago. So this um, based on a story by Luigi Cozy, who also wrote four flies on gray velvet. Again, both of these are part of what is known as Argento's animal trilogy. Um, And these are the latter two inclusions. So the cat of nine tails um, focuses on, well, it's got two kind of storylines. The first one involves a blind man, Carl Malden, who is yeah, who is with his niece, and some some strange goings on, and he is is just this absolutely charming character. Honestly, he and his niece were two of my favorite yeah. characters in any Argento film. They were just so charming and well developed and dynamic, and I was cheering for them. And they were what made this movie for me. Yeah, like a good script, like that's well written characters compared to most of his films. Yep. And you get from the get-go that this blind man, even though that he is visually impaired, that he has this kind of investigative um, quality about him, that he definitely kind of um, is smart at putting things together and can really kind of um, perceive different things going on around him. I mean, not like in like a weird sixth sense way. He just really is a good investigator and he solves um, crossword puzzles and just, you know, is, is just an all around developed character. Well, um, at some point, somebody at the beginning of the film breaks into this medical research facility and there's this murder that happens and nothing really gets stolen But then somebody who knows somebody who had broken in, somebody claims that they know who broke into the facility. They're not going to say anything. They plan to blackmail him. And that guy who knows who did it gets pushed under a train in like the most hilarious train rolling body feet stick it out scene ever. And yet I don't find that part as shocking as the part. There's a part where somebody falls down an elevator shaft and tries to hold onto the cable oh God, and the burning of the hand. You're like, oh, oh, no, thank you. No. And so um, at this point, it, it kind of goes into two storylines that start melding together. There's an investigator who is researching all of the scientists who are working on the DNA study, as well as one of the lead people's daughter that they think may be in some way involved. And what they learn is that the scientists were actually researching this XYZ chromosome that is supposedly, if you have the XYZ chromosome, you are prone to violence. And so the investigator is kind of researching all this stuff while we're also watching the blind man and his daughter or niece kind of be in the periphery of it. And at one point, the investigator realizes how kind of skilled the blind man is and says, okay, you know what? join me in this. Um, she, his, his niece calls him cookie. So I'm going to call yeah, him cookie. Yeah. Um, cause it makes me smile cause he's sweet like a cookie. Um, and so cookie joins the investigation and then it becomes cookie working with the lead investigator as they go through all of the different scientists, all of kind of the, the town figures and the daughter that's involved in this. This one, honestly, as far as Argento goes, did not have a lot of cinematic flair. Yeah, no, it's, there it's were not the writing. 
and the setup yeah. and the character. There's a scene in a in a grave thing where they get stuck in there. That's pretty good. Yeah. On that, they get trapped in a crypt, and that's a really tight scene. Yeah. Um, that's a really really tense scene with the killer outside trapping them in the crypt. Yeah, I feel like these films are complete opposites. I feel I feel like one has a good yeah. script and good characters. The other has pretty bad script and not very good characters, but like tons of awesome visual style. Uh, <laughs> Carl Malden, for those who don't, if you see on the waterfront with uh, uh, Brando, uh, Carl Malden, who plays the blind guy in this, he's the priest preacher in that, priest in that. And it's kind of just, he's just, you do kind of love him. He's got a very lovely, he's got that f- fucked up flat nose that you can't help but yeah. love. Yeah, it's, it's, he's really good. But so let's- he's- yeah, well, let's, he's a phenomenal character in this. He made this movie for me. So, so before um, we decide, so Four Flies on Grey Velvet is uh, much more mod, right? Like, so we're starting, it's a rock and roll bit drummer. Um, yep. he, he's getting these, uh, you know, somebody's following him all day, this man with a mustache, and he's kind of, and he's a rich, you know, well-off uh, drummer. So this guy's following him. He basically gets frustrated, follows this guy down a dark alley, confronts the guy, and takes the guy's knife off him as he pulls it out and accidentally stabs him, killing him. He turns around and there's a guy taking photos with a giant, what are you? Baby, baby face. On. Yeah. It looks like, looks like Valentine, basically a goofy yeah, version of Valentine. snapping photos. And you feel like at that moment, like he, he was probably set yeah, up, it feels like but he's scared shitless. And so he takes off running home, um, tells his wife, girlfriend about it. And then the next day he starts getting, letters in the mail saying i know what you did i saw the whole thing and i got the picture yeah and menacing menacing and it's he's a really weird choice to be the person being menaced because you know it, it doesn't seem like he has access to particular funds or anything um but i'll tell you there's a scene in this that i didn't pick up before and now i'm kind of convinced i'm gonna have to do my possession deep research the gay private detective he hires in this is very reminiscent of the gay private detective character in possession. And even when he walks, really? he walks down certain streets in, in this and that look exactly like possession. Possession's good eight years later than this movie. So my feeling is I wonder if Zulowski saw this movie because there's just a couple beats where, where the detectives is investigating something and then somebody's following him. And the way that detective, that character actually ends up being undone is fair, not similar it just the feeling of it i was like oh weird that'd be a crazy crazy connection i would it'd be surprising but um but yeah it, it's got a it's got a funny tone here the first thing I, I remember saying is i think the lead actor in this is just so boring like yes like he's just dull he's just not it's one of the worst characters i think in an argento film it, it is so flat he just doesn't do it. he's a he's a drum but then i like called you the other night the and I was like, great. yeah no the kill no there's lots of cool things and oh it's like this person in a giant baby mask with the black gloves on and a trench coat following him around, whispering the whole oh, yeah. time. And he sneaks up behind him and, and it's just like, I know you did. And it's house too. Like, there, yeah. There's a lot of good psychology, but the main character, so the only reason this was like kind of just maybe the most incredible coincidence on the show's history is I literally, I go, because I thought I, I watched the movie again. I was like, wow, the only thing I don't like about this movie is this lead performance. I click on the actor and the other thing he did was a little movie that we just talked about five seconds ago called Deadly Messages. He's the lead. He's the <laughs> husband in Deadly Messages. Like t- 10 years later, 12 years later, I was like, oh my God, what is He admittedly doesn't do much in Deadly Messages. No, he doesn't do much in that either, but but he's a little better in that than he was back then. He's much, yeah, he is much better in he's that. Just kind of, he's kind of, but, but this has, 
what I was watching this again, like there are sequences in this that I think it's a real shame that it's so hard to see because uh, some of it has, it, it feels like this is the movie where Argento is practicing the things that will then mark the next part of his career. There is a scene yep. where uh, the housekeeper is going to bribe somebody is going to meet the killer in a park. And it's quite surreal. She's walking down the street. She looks up. Suddenly it's night. And then it cuts back to her walking along. And then suddenly something unseen is chasing her, like Suspiria. It felt like the Suspiria chase scene. So it felt like this was a practice run on certain like set pieces that are, and the dream scene of the beheading is like tenebrae's flashbacks. So it, it really, in some ways, it feels like a great training ground movie for Argento. Plus, I liked the inclusion of the op the optography, yeah, um, and this is such, it's such a bonkers moment in the movie where they try to extract a final image from a dead woman's retina. As the, 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 the character goes, you know, the retina retains the last image the person sees before they die. <laughs> so if we could just get that I, image. <laughs> And and so then they try it. And so it's got this weird scientific twist to it. Um, but then at the same time, like what they produce is where the title of the film comes from because they produce this like really trippy image and the tech is like, it looks like four flies on green. We won't say where that we won't give away the killer. But it but it's actually one of the best kind of killer reveals in one of these movies because it's actually part of the story. And you're like, oh, that's actually pretty cool, you know? Like, um, and there's some actually there's some other people in this who actually have good performance I'm not gonna give away, uh, because the the killer ends up giving a good performance. I won't say who the killer is. Uh and I did I really enjoy the killer in this one. Like I I wish he was in a better movie. Yeah, but there but this there there's also an image at the end of this movie that if this was the only good part of the movie, I'd probably be still a favorite, which is like a slow motion car thing and and oh the wreck feel yeah, like things like that are that. yeah like De Palma him Hitchcock Lynch they're the only directors who so I feel like are are using the aesthetic of a moment and slowing it down and giving you the full impact of it's a it's a great kind of beat um but yeah I think there's like four or five just tremendous sequences in this around a movie that doesn't have much of a plot engine and not a great lead so I think both are flawed I have to say I'm definitely four flies I have to say I am as well, um, because I can forgive the boring lead in Four Flies, but it is the the cinematic style, the nightmare sequences, the artistic aesthetic that he takes, and the killer killer. Like, the killer is so great in this movie. Um, I will say I like the characters in Cat and Nine Tales better. I liked the detective. I love um, the visually impaired gentleman and his niece, but that was not enough to keep me captivated. Yeah. And I did find myself getting a little bored during Cat and Nine. I think it's some like, of his best writing, but and when you don't really watch these films for writing, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but really even Argento with bad scripts has still made interesting movies and some of his latter film, you know what I mean? So you, they still have, he has some other touch. He's better when he has a good script. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, no, I think this is one that I know shameless did put out some sort of version. So it's not, impossible to see um but yeah i recommend it to people especially after you uh come to uh, bird with the crystal plumage what's crazy though it, like watching these two is how much better bird is i mean and it's yes. weird that he makes this like high point movie and then a couple that just aren't quite yeah. at that level it's because he shot two in the same year <laughs> um I mean, bird was like his first film he yeah. had a lot to lose with that and then you know 
immediately be confronted with these two, which are very high concept films, um, very different cinematically all within the same year. I can see that being a little intense. Yeah. And then of course he's polishing it when he gets to eat bread, he's at a high point. So it's a whole different, yeah. but, but yeah, no, I think uh, this is, this was fun to do right before we uh, go watch bird. Cause now I'm excited to just watch it on the night, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it'd be fun. So hopefully that gets people in the mood. Uh, that's our little bit of January giallo fun. Uh, who knows what we're doing uh, once we hit whatever the start of next month. Will we be February? Or are we still late January? It might be late January still. We still have, I think we've got one more show in January, sure so we'll have to do a couple more. Um, maybe we'll do more American infused inspired yeah. yellow. Or maybe we'll do something yeah. totally different. Totally different. Totally different we're for people. Um, and then we get, we'll, we'll figure out from there. So yeah. Um, but yeah, fun stuff. And we have a deep cuts coming up on, when do we take that Sunday? Oh, I know. So yeah, we got to come up with a couple oh, of deep boy. cuts. That oh, boy. I didn't even know. Even it's podcast week, man. Well, well, well they will definitely be, they will definitely be jealous. So we have to, no we doubt. Have to finish the month with that. I think we should probably I, check out. A I've, and I have a real wacky one that uh, I've, and I won't say it here, but uh, that I'm excited to try. So, um, okay. So I have a couple that I'm still itching to get to. So yeah, um, I'm excited. So, okay. Well, we uh we we thank you very much for listening and supporting and um please find us on socials and um please continue to like rate and review we still need to clip david Cronin i know we have to do that or we'll just get ernie to do it of the dark podcast is a fangoria podcast production producers and co-hosts are rebecca mckendry and elric kane executive producers tara ainsley and avi gold associate publisher jessica safa vamir and our amazing sound engineer ernie hurtado fangoria magazine is now available in barnes and noble please listen to our sister show the king cast and thank you all so much have a freaking awesome weekend <laughs>